On this channel, I talk a lot. Guess you've noticed that. So in this video, I want to talk about how we talk or how we communicate information on social media in general. Why is it so difficult to communicate on social media? What's a parasocial relationship? And should you trust me? That's what we'll talk about today. Scientists have many theories about why humans ended up dominating this planet. Maybe it's the opposing thumb that lets us use tools, or the invention of cooking that improved nutrition. Or maybe it's one or the other part of our magnificent brains, like the hyperactive imagination lobe, the can't-quite-remember-why-I-came-here cortex, or the someone-else's-problem nucleus. Well, I think the reason that humans came to be the dominant species on this planet, for better or worse, is that we're really good with communicating information and learning new information. And the major reason we run into trouble is communication failure. Worse still, a communication failure that we don't notice. Unfortunately, social media has made those communication failures more likely. That's because communication on social media is more difficult than in-person communication for a number of reasons. One is that it's often text only, and that's lacking cues we take from expression and body language. Take the statement, oh my god. That could be, oh my god, or oh my god, or oh my god, or oh my god. And you'd immediately know that each of those means something completely different. If the only thing you have to work with is OMG, that's really not much. You may have heard about the so-called 7% rule. This rule says that in oral communication, only 7% is verbal and the rest non-verbal, where the non-verbal part includes both body language and differences in vocal expression, including intonation, pace, volume, emphasis, and so on. If this was true, it'd mean that we convey more information with non-verbal cues than with words. This can't possibly be correct, you might say, and indeed it isn't. The 7% rule is also known as the Mirabian rule. It's named after Albert Mirabian, a professor of psychology who published his findings in the early 1970s. He indeed found this 7% share, but the context matters. Mirabian wasn't studying in-person communication in general. He was studying specifically how we communicate emotion. It's in that case, when we try to convey emotion, that words account for only 7%. Well, that's what he said. But as I keep preaching, never trust a number without an uncertainty estimate, especially not if it's psychology. But leaving aside that the 7% rule is neither meaningful nor accurate, it broadly speaking means that in case of conflicting emotional messages, we tend to give more weight to behavior than to words. Simply put, if you shout, I'm not angry, we totally get the message. What this means is that with written words, it's particularly difficult to communicate emotion. Isn't this what emojis are good for? Yes, in principle. In practice, interpreting emojis is its own art. First of all, there's the issue that they look somewhat differently on different platforms, and that might slightly change your interpretation. This, for example, is what Apple calls the relieved face. This is what it looks like on Skype. I don't know about you, but to me, it looks hungry. 
Then there are some with ambiguous meaning. First time I saw this emoji that's called face with steam from nose, I thought it's someone with cauliflower in their nostrils. I also had to be told this one is a person gesturing okay. A study from last year found that one of the most ambiguous emojis is this one, which no one has any idea what it means. I asked my followers on the platform formerly known as Twitter what they think it means. Some of my favorite answers are a waiter who lost his tray. Is it raining? I'm a little teapot. The kid who marked me was this tour officer and the international symbol for the heaviside function. Or how about this? Even if you can figure out it's a shaking face, what does it mean? According to the Emojipedia, it can express fear as well as disbelief, dizziness and excitement, among other things like, for example, shaking from external forces like dinosaurs walking nearby. I guess that clears it up then. Even leaving aside those emojis whose meaning is unclear to begin with, several studies have shown that people might interpret the emotional message differently from your intention, depending on age, gender and nationality. To be fair, these aren't huge differences, but on top of that are community interpretations. For example, in the community that I am part of, the nerd face is generally a positive image. But in other groups, maybe it's an insult. Generally, I find that I learn the meaning of emojis from the context in which other people use it. The steam from the nose apparently is a snort. <laughs> And then my own usage depends on whom I've learned it from. So emojis do help if you're staying within a group of people you're familiar with, but the larger the community gap, the bigger the problem. Not to mention that some people might find you weird for even using them. Now, doing videos actually solves a lot of these problems because you get all your nonverbal cues. But there's another issue. It's that while you can stop and rewind me, you can't interrupt me to ask a question. Communication can, broadly speaking, be classified into two types, synchronous and asynchronous. In synchronous communication, the interaction occurs in real time, like in face-to-face -face conversations and phone calls, but also live chats or instant messaging. In asynchronous communication, you must wait until the other party responds. Examples include letters, email, scientific publications, attempts to communicate with aliens, and yes, also YouTube videos. In the past decade or so, the boundaries between these two types of communication have blurred. This is because on most platforms you find some people who are there with you at the same time, so you might have synchronous or almost synchronous communication, but then people might reply to that conversation for weeks or years. You also have video replies and, in recent years, reaction videos. Reaction videos are weird because they're asynchronous records of a synchronous response. A lot of you have asked me to do reaction videos, but I can't quite see the point, given that I'm about as expressive as a brick. Asynchronous conversation is more difficult than synchronous conversation for a number of reasons. In synchronous conversation, like when we're talking, we can instantly repair problems. A repair is a clarification to something we said or typed. 
there are different types of repair, depending on whether you initiate it yourself or the person you are communicating with does, and whether you do the repair yourself or whether the other person does it. A self-initiated self-repair is a statement of the sort, sorry, what I meant is there are four different types of repair and so on. You have those in recordings of synchronous conversations, but you rarely get them in crafted writing or scripted text like this. Then there is the self-initiated other repair. That's a situation when I ask myself, what's his name? And you say, Musk, Elon Musk. There's also the other initiated other repair, which is when you interrupt me to say, X? Oh, you mean Twitter? But the most relevant repair is that initiated by the person you are trying to convey information to. It's usually a statement of the sort, what do you mean? Or I didn't understand that. And in asynchronous conversation, like the one we're having right now, other initiated repair doesn't work. Studies have found that we have to repair spoken conversation every one to two minutes. And this frequency seems to be pretty much independent of the language. That's a lot. And it's something we can't do in asynchronous conversation. This means it's unfortunately highly likely that when you watch my videos, many of you are left with unanswered questions. I'm trying to make up for this by answering questions in the comments here and on Patreon. But there's limits to how much this can achieve. That it's difficult to repair problems in a synchronous conversation is, of course, not a new problem. You have the same problem with letters. But social media has made this issue more pressing because it's added a new dimension to the issue, the parasocial relationship. A parasocial relationship is, loosely speaking, a one-way relationship. It's a bond you have with someone who doesn't return that relation. Often that's a public figure or, well, a YouTuber. Pretty much everyone who has grown up in the developed world has parasocial relationships. Researchers found that children as young as 18 months form parasocial relationships with cartoon characters. I have a lot of parasocial relationships with other YouTubers. For example, Ali from Peppa English. Ali has been teaching me invaluable lessons such as the many uses of the word shit. I shit you not. I always look forward to watching his videos because he's become part of my life. Yet, he doesn't know anything about my existence. Ali, in case you end up watching this, thanks for everything. More swear words, please. And I have parasocial relationships with many of you, but the other way round. I don't like it. I would much prefer being able to talk to each of you and find out what brings you here and what you do and what your interests are and what you like and don't like about this channel. But I can't. So we have to work with it somehow. And here the issue with the conversation repair comes back. Putting out a video that'll be watched by some hundred thousand people is not like sending a letter to your love in New York. I don't get one reply. I get thousands. More often than not, they contradict each other. I can't repair all of that. It's just not possible. And that's not the only problem with parasocial relationships. One particularly weird aspect of them is that the relationship with what psychologists call a public persona, not a real person. What you know of me isn't me, it's what I choose to share with you. And that's my public persona. 
Now, I think my friends would all confirm that in real life, I'm pretty much the same as on this YouTube channel, what with impromptu lectures and sarcastic jokes. But then, of course, that's exactly what I would say, wouldn't I? The issue is parasocial relationships are easy to exploit for the sake of making money. And you see this a lot on social media. The thing is that in the present times, attention means money and influencers have attention which they can and do convert into money. A study from 2018 looked for the most important factor that helped YouTubers to affect their viewers' attitude both to the video as well as the brand they're promoting. What do you think it is? It's trust. Trust scored well higher than expertise and likability, interestingly enough, had pretty much no influence on the attitude to the content. You don't have to like me, guys. Just trust me, I'm a physicist. But of course, this trust can be abused. A prominent example is the infamous Liver King, who claimed he was growing spectacular muscles by eating insane amounts of raw meat, but actually spent upwards of $10,000 a month on muscle-enhancing drugs. I can promise that my German accent is real. Now, you're all smart people, and I believe you're not easily influenced, but there's one thing you should watch out for. Parasocial relationships can be both positive and negative. Some people are fans, some people are haters. For some public personas, the polarization between the two groups is dramatic. Think Donald Trump, Elon Musk or J.K. Rowling. The thing is now this. Since it's rare for a fan or hater to have an interaction with the persona they're interested in, they mostly communicate among each other. This leads to extreme in-group and out-group behavior. If you find yourself in a situation like this, be careful, because you might psychologically maneuver yourself into a corner where you have to defend someone you barely know or attack someone you barely know to remain welcome by that group you want to be part of. Now, let me be honest. If I see that someone is attacking me in an unreasonable way, I certainly wish someone would come to my defense. However, if you see that happening for your own benefit, I recommend you just ignore it. I say this partly because some people pick on me just to draw attention to themselves. But more importantly, in-group behavior is a huge cognitive bias. And I'd much prefer if you protected your rationality rather than me. I'll be fine, don't worry, just let them talk. In summary, communication on social media is difficult because communication is difficult, period. It requires that we get some neural signals converted into words and motion and hope that the other person decodes it correctly. It frequently goes wrong. In person-to-person -person communication, non-verbal cues and the possibility to repair are essential to convey meaning, but they're difficult on social media, especially for asynchronous conversations. And parasocial relationships bring in additional psychological problems. I find it helps to know a little about all those things, to reflect on what's going on and to keep a clear head. So I hope you found this video useful. If you have other tips that help you stay level-headed on social media, let us know in the comments. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.